when you're talking about social entrepreneurs doing change at scale, when you have your own education material and it's adopted by a government, that is when you really see numbers. On this episode, I talk with one of my favorite social entrepreneurs in the whole world. Diana Sierra is originally from Columbia, ended up getting a master's degree from Columbia University in New York, was an industrial designer developing products for global companies, and then founded B-Girl, a social venture startup focused on menstrual health for women in Africa. She's amazing, and I think you'll enjoy our discussion. I'm Brett Waters. I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life, immersed in the world of entrepreneurship, innovation, and venture capital. I run a startup success program named Fourthly. This is the Fourthly Podcast. Hey, Diana. How are you, Brett? I'm good. Thank you very much for the invitation. This is a pleasure to, to be here. Well, I'm excited to see you and to talk to you. So uh, where are you joining us from today? Well, right now I'm calling you from Mozambique. Um, that's where we are based right now, and that's where, where most of the operations are taking place. So here's where the CEO is. There we go. So give us the brief backgrounder on yourself. So, Brett, um, just as you can tell from my accent, I'm Latino, so I'm a Colombian industrial designer. I got the opportunity to study industrial design many years ago, and uh, that was that's basically kind of like my, my background. And I got the opportunity to start B-Girl back in 2014, and it was mostly a project that came from the heart. You know, it's like one of those things that you do because uh, you think that something needs to be done. And I started this venture that basically works in access to menstrual health products and education, mainly, mainly focused in Africa. How did a, how did a woman from Colombia <laughs> end, end up in Africa working on uh, uh, menstrual health and education? Well, it's one of those uh, tumbles that life gives you and that you don't even, <laughs> that you don't even wait for it to right. you know, grab you. Um, yeah. I was working in New York. I was actually working for Panasonic, and um, I was in the division called Design by Women for Women. And to be very honest with you, Brett, I was just thinking, okay, I am an industrial designer, kind of like designer slash engineer, female. So I was making really good money in my space because we were very few. So I was like, okay, what is the next thing that I can do to earn more money? Honestly, I was like, okay. So then like green accounting, carbon footprint assessment to make sure that we could do greener products was the next thing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sign up with uh, for a master's to learn how to do, you know, how to put dollars into doing the right thing. And I managed to find a master's in Columbia University. That bread, I had no clue what Columbia University was until I actually went in. So you're you're a girl from Colombia, and you yes. end up you end up in New York at Columbia University. Yes, spelled spelled a different way. Exactly, but for me, <laughs> for me honestly, I, I I had no clue what it was. Like I had no clue what Columbia was yeah, until funny. I was in, and I'm glad because I I can tell you that otherwise I will have chicken up, and I probably didn't even apply <laughs> for it. So. I was taking a class and uh, of course I was taking all my credits, but in Colombia they ask you to do other classes who you are more like a roundup professional. And I ended up taking a class from uh, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, which is a uh, economist, renowned economist that I also had no clue who he was yeah, until I ordered his class. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know what? I guess in all the bliss of my ignorance, 
I approached him after the class that I audited and I said, Professor, you're talking about like development and energy access and all these things, and you're going to do all these projects and you don't have a single engineer in this class. Why don't you like let me, you know, you need industrial designers that they can put panels together and rooftops. And that's how I convinced him to take me to Uganda, even though I was from another program. I was from a completely different class and I yeah, literally no. just sneak myself in. So I, I, I ended up going to Uganda to put all together all these um, projects with the uh, energy access and coffee pulpy machines and all these things. And that's how I ended up working very close with female uh, artisans in a project yeah. for um, Tommy Hilfiger. We were doing lots of jewelry. And I became aware, Brett, that the issue of lack of access to sanitary protection was a huge issue for girls because yeah. they were knocking our doors asking for jobs. But you cannot employ them because they were tiny. So digging and digging and understanding more the problem, that's when I became aware that once girls were having, they were starting to have their periods, they were just completely dropping out of school because they have absolutely nothing to put on. And that's the spark of... Uh, of B-Girl where I am right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've read the statistics on this, that um, in uh, in Africa and other, in other parts of the developing world as well, that, um, you know, once women, once girls start having their periods, that they attend school less frequently because they feel like they can't go to school during that, you know, during that time of the month. Um, and so then you end up with this achievement gap where the girls are lagging behind the boys in academic achievement just because of this biological function. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's sad, Brad, because it's a combination of things, you know, like um, sometimes it's the fact that you cannot even speak about it. So mm -hmm, imagine sure. if, you are, if you grow up in a house where um, you are not allowed to talk about your period because it's such an impure thing that you are considered dirty or like um, that you're afraid because once they start knowing that you have your period, you cannot participate in activities. So to whom are you going to tell that you have your period and you need menstrual products? Most likely it's the male who makes the decision purchasing the home. So if you cannot even talk about that, then it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's something that really goes under the radar and really is holding lots of girls and women back of achieving their potential. Yeah. So how, so how is B-Girl addressing this problem? So, you know, as an industrial designer, the very first thing I thought was like, okay, I'm going to make something that is reusable but that it has the performance of disposables. So literally I took an umbrella and a mosquito net and I made my first prototype, which was like, you know, let's replicate the leak proof barrier with a permeable top and you can introduce any type of absorbent and voila, everything is gonna be solved. Mm -hmm. But you know what? In my ignorance, I thought like, yeah, this is it. This is how I'm gonna go and fix the problem. I'm going to create a social enterprise and all these things so we can put these amazing reusable products into the market. But there was not even a market for the product, you know? So you have the need, but you don't have the market. So I started working backwards. It's kind of like having a Tesla and no roads to reach your user. <laughs> so after having this Tesla, I started working backwards and we started working towards creating um, uh, education in general, educating governments, educating uh, uh, NGOs, educating the public in general, making sure that they do understand that menstrual health is an issue. Then once you do that, you start advocating for product standards. 
so you can have regulation, so you can actually commercialize, you know, reusable menstrual products. So this has been a process that started with the product and it has been like, okay, product, then consumer awareness, then legislation and product standards for these products to actually reach the market. So that's what Big Girl is doing. If I can summarize, we work in product development, we work in massive education, left and right, all the tiers, and we do work in advocacy to make sure that we change the landscape. There's a there's an old joke about the uh, the two the two shoe companies who who each send their top salesmen to some country in the developing world to uh, scout out the opportunity to, to sell shoes there. And the one shoe salesman comes back and reports to his boss, says, there is no opportunity. No, nobody wears shoes. And the other salesperson comes back and reports to his boss, it's a huge opportunity. Nobody wears shoes. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? The thing is like, you don't know who's wrong or right. Right, Because it's, right. it's all the perspective. Like, I... <laughs> I can tell you this, uh, Brett, if, if I knew this was going to be this hard from the get-go, I'm not saying that I will haven't done it, but good God if I would have geared up differently. I mean, like, it's, um, but at, at the same time, you know, it's like this ignorance is a bliss, I think, when it comes to social entrepreneurship in a way, because if you knew from the get-go how complex things are, you probably just don't even do it, so... Yeah, I think I'm with the guy who said, like, huge opportunity. <laughs> like, nobody has shoes. Definitely, I stayed in that. So give us the current update on, on the venture. So what, you know, how, how many people are, is B-Girl serving right now? What does the market look like, et cetera? So right now we have been uh, in operation as a full business uh, for eight years. And up to now, we have reached more than half a million uh, we have distributed more than half a million products across the globe. Wow. We have distributed more than 30 countries and we work with more than 60 partners. In the education end, we have also managed to do really good uh, advances. We have educated in menstrual health more than 360,000 adolescents. But one thing that I'm very proud, Brett, that I can tell you is that we managed last year to launch the menstrual health curriculum for the country of Mozambique. And that was huge because when you're talking about social entrepreneurs doing change at scale, when you have your own education material and it's adopted by a government, that is where you really see sure. numbers. Yeah, for and sure. not only it was adopted by Mozambique, but right now it's, being, uh, it's going to be transplanted to uh, Angola, which is another luxophone uh, speaking country. So this is great because we're talking about making sure that girls and also boys have access to this information at the national level within the curriculum. So that is something that I'm really proud. Um, in terms of work, I mean, we have uh, we, we have a team of like 21 people. Most of them are based here in Mozambique because this is where the implementation of the work is. But we are also doing really good work in Ghana where we have been working really close with the FDA to create wow. the product standards for reusable menstrual products, not only for Ghana, but potentially for the region of West Africa. So that's also something that is extremely important to, to highlight. So tell us a little bit more about the product itself. So there's a, um, there's a reusable component, 
So explain it, explain it again. Sure. So when we talk about products, um, we started with a reusable menstrual pad. And basically, um, if, you know, the audience can kind of like close their eyes, I'm going to describe it for them. So imagine a a sanitary pad that is just made with a leak-proof barrier on the bottom, washable, and with a permeable top. And it has a little slit. So you can actually put inside any type of absorbent material. And why is this important, Brett? Because... When I designed this, I did it when I was observing girls and I saw that they were already inventing any type of, like taking any type of absorbent and using sure. it. Uh, just use, you know, use whatever they can use, whatever they can find. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this way yeah. they were able to do it easier, more economically and, and better. But that was like the very first thing. But when you started working in areas where the uh, lack of access to income is so high that not even access to underwear exist, then we have to evolve the the product from being, from having a shape of a pad to have a shape of a panty. So right now it's two products in one. So those are our main two products. We also have cups. And the reason why it's important is because it's about product choices. So what we do is we have all the products in the umbrella. So users and also organizations that we work with, they can choose based on the uh, user preferences. We also, so that's when it comes to like the menstrual cycle itself, like you know, managing the flow. We also have education services and products. So we have a little, uh, we call it the smart cycle, which is a little clock in the same way that you, that you track your period, people track their period in their apps. This one is to track it manually. But the beautiful thing about this product is that from one tool, we managed to create an entire methodology to teach the menstrual cycle in a very easy and youth-friendly way. And this is what was implemented at the country level in Mozambique and what is being implemented in Angola. So that's basically what we do. We also have another product, which is research, but that's something that we do only when necessary according to the particular clients that we have, because sometimes to be able to unlock more funding, you need the research part. But it's very particular according to the, the geography and the project. Okay, so you mentioned funding. So help us understand the economic model for B Girl. Yes. So we are completely we, we are a social enterprise. So I can tell you the numbers right now. So up to now we have been in operations for eight years. Altogether, we have raised about $3.5 million combined in investment and a fundraise of grants and also sales. But it's worth mentioning that our, our grants are not just money that came in and we use it however we want it. No, they had particular targets attached. In all of our cases were uh, education targets. So we were paid X amount of money to deliver X amount of kids educated. So it's $3.5 million and from that, we have managed to put, as I said before, half a million products in the hands of girls. And we also had a, you know, a court, you know we have some people, we have more people uh, in the latest stages of the company, but we had a team of like 20 people, more or less, going around. So it's, um, you know, sometimes, <laughs> and I think it's important to mention this, 3.5 million for someone in uh, in Silicon Valley, that's yeah. peanuts. Yeah, they right, will do right. a prototype with that and then they will see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But for us, has been operating expenses for eight years and doing all that's this amazing. work. So yeah, it's amazing. And you've Im- impacted a whole lot of lives. Yes. 
But you know what, Brett? I think that is going to change. And you know why? Because with all this noise that we have been doing along with other players on the ground, menstrual health is in donors' radar and in investors' radar. So right now, the Gates Foundation, the WHO, the UNFPAs, the USAIDs, everybody is including menstrual health as a fundamental right for girls. So that's going to be changing and unlocking a lot of capital for organizations like ours or business like ours to work in the space. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, if what we care about is, um, you know, education and economic empowerment for women, um, you know, it turns out that this is one of the fundamental things, right? Oh, yes. Um, and uh, so kind of, a, you know, addressing things at the, um, you know, at, at the base level, at the fundamental level is the way in which you achieve a sustainable impact. <laughs> Exactly. Especially if you look at the demographics, looking at the future, I mean, like by 2050, literally, we're going to have 1 billion people that is going to come strictly only from this continent. And by 2030, for the first time, female and males are going to have the same acquisition power. By 2040, all the working like capacity is going to be in this continent. So that means there is like a bunch of girls and women who are going to enlist in, in, in the workforce. So they menstruate. So how, are <laughs> to, how are we going to make sure that they do understand their bodies yeah. and they also have the means to manage the property so they can thrive? So when we think about this, Brett, it's not just a girl that right now is having the issue of not going to school. Like we are literally, we need to be thinking about the future, especially because imagine if we're going to have all this new uh, wave of women coming into this planet to work and to thrive. And disposables is the only way to go around. Do you manage, can you imagine the amount of waste that we were going to be putting in systems where waste management is unexistent? So we need to think about options. And reusable menstrual products, it's a very good way to go around this issue. So you mentioned that you kind of have three types of income. One is yeah. grants. Uh, another is uh, is product sales. Yeah. Uh, and a third is that you've had some investment into, yes. the, uh, into, the, into the venture. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, the classic social enterprise is to have a kind of a mix of earned income and contributed income and such. Um, but tell us about kind of the, you know, your journey getting there. Um, because I think if I remember correctly, when I first met you a couple of years ago, you were, you were really trying to focus on the earned income model of we're going to, we're going to sell our product at a, at a profit. Um, and that that was, you know, that, that was harder than you originally thought. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) just, Just tell us a little about that journey. So the very first thing I think is for people to understand is that nobody is going to invest in something that you haven't invested first. So in our, in my case for B-Girl was doing a pilot for over a year where I managed to gather information from consumer feedback. And it was a pilot with almost 300 girls, 500 girls across four countries. So it was completely funded by me when I was working in Panasonic, but I put my skin on the game to be able to have those numbers. Then when I had those numbers, I'm the next thing I the next thing I did is like, okay, I need to go into an incubator because I have no clue how to be an entrepreneur. So I was like, I am a designer, and as a designer, I can tell you I'm very top of the line. 
But as an entrepreneur, there was so many holes. So that was the next thing. And when I went through the incubator, which is, uh, I went to the Halcyon incubator in Washington, which for, for honestly is like the Rolls Royce of incubators. <laughs> I was lucky to be the first, <laughs> the first cohort. They allow you to structure the business, but they also give you the tools for you to fundraise. So that's how I, I it was a combination of things, but that, that's what it gave me the credibility to found an angel, an angel investor, which we have an angel investor that it was like the very seed money that went into the company. So you can actually do this. You know, like it's important for people to understand that you need to eat. You need to make sure that you have an income while you're doing these things. Otherwise, you're going to run dry and not being able to do things. So that was the second piece. So, and then once once you have the, the investment, you start trying the model, right? Try to see what works. And as long and as you're doing that, you try to look for capital that match what you're doing in the business. So at the very beginning, you were doing some tests. We were trying to do this buy one, give one, having operations based in the US, but that didn't work. So when we knew that the buy one, give one, trying to focus products in the United States to serve Africa didn't work. We said, okay, mm -hmm. we're gonna go full front and establish the business in, in Africa because that's where it was meant to be. So then we look for a grant from the government of Canada, it was a matching grant to let us do exploration of markets. So that's how we went. So it's always trying to see how the, 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 the funding aligns to what you want to do. Now, we were always trying to do a, uh, a business that relies little in institutional sales because we always wanted to be direct to consumer. But sometimes it's really difficult or you underestimate how much investment you need to do commercial operations. And that's what happened when we met. We had a plan and we said, okay, we're going to enter in Kenya and we're going to go middle class and then base of the pyramid and we're going to do this and we're going to do use $300,000 to do XYZ. But sometimes, you know, either the cash come and drips and once the cash come and drips, it just changes the dynamics of things. So what we learn, but we learn, which is good. Like we learn that, of course, to do commercial operations, you need way more heavily investment. Probably you will decouple the middle, like middle income class products to the base of the pyramid. So yeah. you don't end up sacrificing both. So, but, but we learn a lot and we know there is a market in Africa for menstrual products at the different levels. You just need to fund them differently. So right now we are in the process of taking all this learning and you know, making sure that we, we have like a consistent revenue stream. So when we are doing these other exercises, we don't end up like in a very tough situation. And I hope a lot of people is listening to me right now. It's easy to get excited about learning new things and growing new things and trying new things. Make sure that you have the lights on for a little bit longer plan before you start jumping into this, you know, new ideas. I, 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 right now we're getting to the, okay, right now we can breathe again. It's fine. But yeah, sometimes underestimating those things can be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think those are wise words. So what other advice would you have? I mean, you've, you know, you've been in this amazing uh, journey as a social entrepreneur. 
Um, what, what advice would you have for others? I think I have different type of advice. Um, first of all, anyone who's starting on this, don't do it because you think it's cool. Please don't. I mean, like, this is the type of ventures, social enterprises, they take your breath, your life, and everything. So you better be in love and completely convinced to the bones that what you're doing is what it needs to be done because you're going to doubt yourself in every single turn. So that would be my very first advice. Second, and this one goes to females, don't, do not sell yourself short. You know what? Like sometimes I think that we are too humble and when we put things on the table, we just always think that you, it could have been more, right? So when you have that mentality, it could have been more because, you know, or maybe uh, I will say from my, my Latino background, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this barrier that sometimes we don't think we have enough or what it takes. So when we bring things to the table, sometimes we are the ones who undervalue them. So when you're negotiating shares or when you are negotiating a contract or when you're negotiating anything, understand that what you're bringing to the table has a lot of value. That's why someone wants to invest on it. That's why someone wants to come and work with you. That's why you, you like that. Just keep that in mind. And the third thing that I will say is like, always be very mindful where the money is coming from. Because sometimes um, you have lots of dreams, but if the money is not aligned with where you want to go, that money can divert you in paths that probably are not the ones that you were thinking. So just be mindful and think it twice before you commit to something and make sure that that funding is aligned with what you really want to achieve. Just think it twice. Yeah, I think that's all great advice. And uh, on the last on the last point, uh, I often think about how so early on with a startup, you need to be opportunistic. Meaning, a- anybody who offers you money, you want to take it, right? Not pretty much. <laughs> but but it, but eventually, you realize that y- you need to be strategic uh, to really go where you want to go. Um, and so you kind of slowly make this transition from being opportunistic and taking everything you can get to being strategic and only taking the money or taking the customers or taking the kinds of projects that align with where you want to be, where you want to go. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. And I like, I like how you, uh, I like how you framed it. And Brett, as you said there, like at the very beginning, you have one mindset. And then like another thing that I, I will say my last piece of advice is like, you don't, you know where things start, but you don't know where things end. And it's very important that people plan from the get go to have big operations, even though they're working out of their garage. So make sure that your bylaws are clear. Make sure that your ownership structure is clear. Make sure that you have good investment caps for like people that come in and out and compensation, even though if it's like two cats working in a garage, make sure that when you're doing the, the building up, good look for good um, uh, assistance. Uh, I know that like, for example, lawyers and all this stuff are expensive, but there are some organizations that they're helping social entrepreneurs make sure that they structure these things better from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really great advice. And, you know, the... Part of the way in which I say that is that um, 
you know, as an entrepreneur, you want to be spending all of your time and energy and passion on pushing the venture forward. And you don't want to get bogged down dealing with legal disputes and, and, you know, co-founder arguments and, um, you know, arguments about who has 18% and who has 12% and all the rest of this crap. And so get as much of that as possible, uh, formalized and settled and documented up front so that you can spend all of your time and energy and angst pushing the organization forward, not dealing with that crap. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Right now, I know that you asked me for very little and I already gave some advice. The oh, last I thing it. I will love say it. is be mindful in the time, how you spend your time between your venture and your family or your loved ones. Because uh, that's one of the things that I regret. Um, not because I love my venture and I love what we do, but I know that I neglected a lot of people on my way here. And if I could do things differently, I think that's one of the stuff that I would definitely change because at the end, all that extra hours that you're working, all the stuff, you're taking that from someone. So either your parents, your grandma, your kids, your partner. So just be mindful because at the end, if you can get there, but if you are very lonely, you it will be heavy on you. So I will definitely advise on that. Well, I agree with you 100%. And I think, honestly, it's one of the kind of when I look back in my own life, it's something that I wish I had realized sooner that in my, you know, my 20s and early 30s, I was running a startup and, you know, and I, you know, I was putting in 80 hours a week on the startup because that's what I thought you were supposed to do. Um, and, uh, and now I wish I had been better at balancing my professional life and my, in my family life, my own life. And I think I'm, I think I'm much better about that today. Um, but I wish I had, I wish I hadn't taken so many years to learn it. <laughs> well, but that's why we're here trying to make sure that other people yep. that are super young is starting in this path or like, you know, or like just jumping into this, they actually learn this and like, you know, get a little bit of, even if it's just like one or two pieces of advice that they, re, you know, make a click. I think we did a good job then, Brad. <laughs> so, Diana, so uh, there's so many things I love about your story. So many things I love about the B Girl story. And one of them is that, so I always say that you, you marry the problem, not the solution. Um, and, uh, and your story, the B-Girl story is a good example of this, right? That the problem that you married was uh, menstrual health. Um, and you've, you know, you've had to adjust a few times in terms of the best way to solve that problem. Yeah. But your North Star has remained the same. You've married the problem and you have iterated as many times as necessary in order to find the right solution set for the problem. And I think that's a really important lesson for entrepreneurs everywhere particularly for an entrepreneur who is a product designer. Mm. So That's right. Like, That's right. So it's easy to fall in love with your solution because you designed it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> right now, right now I take a look at things and, you know, like in my back when I was an industrial designer, I always thought like, oh, this is a product. Fantastic. It will sell itself. And rent, then when you started really working and like making sure that people do understand the value of an idea of a product, then you know how important marketing is, like, you know, making sure that you can actually communicate the value. So humbly and slowly, slowly, I kind of like, you know, 
walk down of my of my you know the pedestal that I have on my ego as a product <laughs> designer. And right now it's like you know what y- you need to make sure that you communicate the value of the product. So it's that's that's where it stands. It's like the value of access to menstrual health is what I'm married with right now. Love it. So Diana, last question for you. Where where will B Girl be um, two years from now, three years from now? I am very, I mean, like, I, I always have, um, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'm the type of entrepreneur that is like, or the salesperson was like, oh, fantastic, nobody has you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still the same one. And uh, West Africa is for the take and bread. I mean, West Africa, East Africa has been having a lot of development in menstrual health. And thanks uh, to the work of a lot of people, product standards are being done, education materials are being distributed. West Africa is in bare bones, not only because language-wise, we have Francophone, Luxophone, Spanish-speaking Arab, and like we have a very different kind of like setting and very little work has been done. So we are setting our eyes in West Africa because it's where we see that we can bring more value because it's where little, the less of the work is being done. So I hope we can get a good hold in um, either Ghana, like to work on the region. But my goal is to take the education package that we have developed for Mozambique that we're doing right now in Angola and literally spread it all across West Africa. I, I hope I have the opportunity to do so because I think it's going to be something to with a lot of impact and something to be extremely uh you know happy to have done this it's just it will be uh, i just hope i have the chance (laughs) well diana thank you so much this has been a great conversation you are a inspiring social social entrepreneur and uh congrats on all of your success thank you so much brett for the opportunity as i said before you know um, this journey, um, it's, um, it's a very complex one, but it's a very beautiful one. And it's just always good to share the, uh, with others, uh, the good things and the, the maybe not so good things that we learn along the way. So somebody else can do it better. So thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been the fourthly podcast. If you have ideas for future episodes or people you think I should interview, send me an email at brett And don't forget to rate and share the show. It really helps. Until next time, I'm Brett Waters. Thanks so much for listening.